Namaste and welcome to the Hindu Parenting Podcast episode 1. I'm Rekha and today Shalini and I will be exploring the topic of what does it mean to be Hindu. Namaste Shalini. Namaste Rekha. Carrying on from our uh, first podcast or our uh, launch episode, we are going to delve into what it means to be a Hindu. Just to start with, why is it important that we underline this what it means to be a Hindu? Why why is that so important? I think it ties right back um into where we left off last time, which is the concept of identity. So so what it means to be Hindu is something that parents need to know to form a clear identity in their children. and this is important i think for uh, two reasons first is to give you a structure so that your thoughts and actions can be um, it can be a framework for you to hang your thoughts and actions on the second important reason for knowing what it means to be hindu is that it gives us a lens with which we can view the world so here clarity and perspective both become very important so um where are we going to start i think we should start with something that hindus are so commonly laughed at you know this concept of murti puja or idol worship as it is uh, commonly but wrongly known so what are your thoughts on uh, murti puja shalini uh, you know uh, we are always told that uh, we are worshiping idols but i think that's a wrong way to uh, look at that form of worship um hindus are used to worshiping the divine along with a form and a name as a representative image and uh, what sort of a representative image it's one that we think reflects ourselves so uh, i think that's what murti puja is about you know and uh, we for us for us a murti or a framed picture of a deity or a vigraha as we call you know normally vigraha is also called idol but prefer to use the word vigraha because um, we we do associate a living breathing form in a persona that we worship you know so vigra vigraha is also consecrated in a temple and they do prana pratishta which means that you know you actually invoke the life force into the deity before it is consecrated and uh, hence it's it's probably not even right to call it idol worship and i think we should and all don't... start to call it as murti puja you know so that that's an excellent point and uh, don't you think when you call it uh, when it is called idol worship so commonly outside um there's a tendency to confuse um, you know vigraha the concept of vigraha with an idol as in a pop idol or a cricketing star or a film star so these two are so widely different would you like to talk a little bit about that and uh, you know uh, tell us uh, in what way we can view them differently yeah okay uh, when we talk about uh, you know for me this person is an idol uh, you know or that cricketer is an idol it is an uh, aspiration you know so this this person is somebody who is far away from us but we aspire to be like him or her uh, so there is a sense of 
distance from the uh, from this idol that you are worshipping okay worshipping or whatever you know yes. you are uh, you are very much uh, looking up uh, to them you are very much in adoration of this person so um, it's akin to let's say worship and uh, um, you are very far away from this person okay so there is the aspect of distance whereas in uh, when we when we worship the divine in the form of a murti it is somebody who is close to us you know of course i'm not i'm not saying that there's no aspiration even in murti puja we we are aspiring to reach the divine but uh, there is there is also the sense of you know the that uh, divine form is also our closest confidant uh, we often we often submit all our uh, prayers our uh, wishes our desires etc to this uh, this divine form that we are worshiping i don't think we and, do that uh, to our idols right of, i mean film film stars yes. or uh, cricketers i yes. mean we don't do um, that there, there's another interesting thing that comes up here uh, so we do treat the murti uh, you know the the very act of uh, performing a puja is to you know take care of this living entity as we would take care of another member of the family um and even in temples the deity is uh, clothed uh, is bathed clothed you know all this uh, feeds into the ritual that we perform in temples so um yeah go ahead yeah. so um temple what do we call a temple we call a temple a devalaya and what is the meaning of an alaya alaya is a home so a temple is basically the home of the deity and we are uh, when we are going to the temple to worship the deity whoever the pratishta is in that temple we are going to his or her home you know so we have to uh, observe whatever we observe when we enter someone's house that's pretty, pretty much the same the uh, in a broad sense that we uh, do in a temple you know so actually our murti puja mimics uh, in one sense what we do in real life but mm-hmm. we do add the uh, we do add the let's say the dimension of um, a higher power you know uh, so something aspirational at the same time personal so i think a murti puja can never be idol worship and uh, for a Hindu, i think we should stop calling it as idol worship and move towards using the word murti murti puja you know uh, when that's, when we talk about so what we do. Uh, said uh, yes that's that's so important uh, i think using the right terms is very important and that's something that we as parents can uh, uh, teach children right from a very young age so there's no more a confusion about these terms as they grow up so that's a great point um moving on to the concept of ishta devata so we have so many um you know millions or crores of uh, devis and devatas that we have and uh, then there is this concept of an ishta devata that a per- that a person can choose to worship um so is there uh, how does one choose an ishta devata and uh, you know what does this tie into i think personally i feel that the concept of ishta devata is you know the is is actually a showcase for the kind of respect for diversity that we have in hinduism because uh, when you do have so many uh, devatas you don't see followers of one devata fighting with another or uh, in a family you don't see uh, people who have different ishta devatas insisting 
on the whole family worshipping the same ishta devata it um, i think there's a lot of uh, respect for each other's um, you know concept of a deity that we personally resonate with uh, that is uh, something something uh, in us resonates deeply with a particular principle or a certain concept embodied by the deity that we um, so often choose as an ishta devata so, so what, what your what what you're saying what you're saying actually boils down to uh, you know a personal god for every hindu right so we are accused of being polytheistic worshiping many gods and that's not great and that's not good and whatever not you know but uh, ultimately uh, when you say ishta devata what you're saying is eventually everybody uh, zeros in on uh, one devi or devata uh, that you resonate with right so and that best though, meets your aspirations i think because uh, these are the different right. ways all of us are different and uh, i think this principle is so beautifully recognized by hinduism we are not all similar and each of us uh, resonates deeply with one core uh, principle that can be used to transcend our natures and to um, you know put us on the right path so i think to that extent it is um, really uh, extremely diverse there's a lot of respect for diversity which is not something that is uh, often uh, taught to kids or something that we think about uh, so uh, rekha is it necessary that everyone then should have an ishta devata or uh, can we if we choose to worship any number number that we want is there any injunction against worshiping more than one not at all i don't think uh, uh, in fact i think there is a form of worship i mean there are two right there is saguna worship and then there is nirguna form of worship also which is mm-hmm. um, you, you can worship um a formless entity but that is supposed to be much harder and uh, for a normal human being i think um approaching the divine with nama and rupa is so much more easier um and for a for an average person um a a, a deity with a form and a name some is an entity that can be worshiped adored treated as a friend so uh, while we talk of uh, devis and devatas and all that are uh, are our devis as important as our devatas you know uh, is there a concept of uh, equal respect for the feminine form or is it um, you know like masculine in in It's like in other other forms bring this up because i think we are probably the only living continuous culture with a known uh, element of uh, feminine the, the divine feminine in it um, our devis are every bit as important as the devatas just take a few examples um, every child knows the importance of praying to devi saraswati before starting on a course of study there is uh, annapurneshwari who is uh, worshiped as um, um as a giver of food and um there is uh, uh, devi durga who who of course i mean we all know navratri and we know that we worship different forms of the devi uh, and uh, there is no business enterprise that is uh, started uh, without um, a prayer or a puja to lakshmi devi 
Um, so these are some of the examples. And um, definitely, I think um, our devis are as important in their own right as any devata that we uh, commonly worship. So I think that that kind of uh, um, answers your question, right? Yeah. Uh, but given this, uh, given what you've just said, we often find that, uh, you know, an, a, an accusation is thrown at Hindus that uh, rituals in Hinduism most are mostly performed by the males and, you know, uh, there is no role for the woman in, in uh, rituals. So, uh, I is, think is that, that is true such a even misconception because uh, you know every every ritual um, every puja that a married couple undertakes um, mandates the presence of the wife next to the husband uh, without which the ritual is uh, um, you know it it it's not valid at all um, take this case of uh, Sri Rama performing the Ashwamedha Yajna. Uh, he had to also um, install next to his side, by his side, uh, a golden um, statue of Devi Sita because without his uh, Ardhangani by his side, uh, even a king as um, pious as uh, Sri Rama uh, was not allowed to perform the yajna by himself and this holds good in our daily lives there are a lot of rituals that a man who has uh, lost his wife is not allowed to perform uh, this is not commonly known but uh, but this yeah, is the this truth is news. And, oh, oh definitely definitely i think uh, uh, a person a man who is uh, either unwed single or who has lost his wife uh, and who is a widower is not allowed to perform certain um, karyas in hinduism um, there's another uh, one that i would like to mention here because it's just so important and that is the concept of punarjanma um, a hindu mm -hmm. believes yeah. that um, this is not the only life that we live that we have had multiple births many crores of births before this current birth and we will continue to have many many births in in the progress towards the ultimate moksha oh, um, but um, this this will this will be called out as uh, you know unscientific because people will tend to ask you on what basis are you uh, saying that uh, this is not about just one life and multiple lives and things like that so there is uh, there is an element of uh, you know unscientific uh, claims to this so uh, how how can we counter something like that? Um, there are many uh, universities today where uh, the concept of punarjanma or reincarnation, as they call it, is being scientifically tested. Uh, there, how do you explain something like a child prodigy? You know, where is he or she getting this innate wisdom and knowledge from? It's almost like they have left off uh, when their previous life ended and just started now with um, with uh, so much wisdom that they already carry or knowledge. Um, and then there is uh, also, um, you know, many instances where children, especially up to the age of four, have uh, recounted lucidly in great detail a previous life episode that they have had. 
and this yes yes i remember yeah i remember correct correct all this all this research happens abroad and i remember watching a video sometime back uh, which was from uh, i think it was the university of virginia i think virginia medical yes. center yes, i think yes, that was about research into um, this concept and how how is it that so many children have reported accurate details about uh, lives that they would you know have absolutely no access to so this yeah, is and this is still being studied and it is a matter of uh, you know i mean we can await this with great curiosity but shalini would you say that uh, this validation is important to a hindu either way um yeah i see also i while we talk about uh, science and uh, being scientific having the scientific uh, scientific temper and all that um i actually think that punarjanma also is you know broadly scientific i may be right or wrong in my assumptions but i just do feel this in physics we have learned that nothing can be created and nothing can be destroyed okay so uh, in that sense uh, if we, if we say that a, a man or a dog or a, any living being is just about biology and chemicals and uh, uh, just some material uh, things put together i don't think that that explains uh completely uh what constitutes a living being okay so there is something beyond just the material and uh, while you can say that you know with uh, with the death of the physical body the material being is lost uh what then happens to the extra something that you say makes you living okay so there is that extra something and that extra something also is part of the universe so if uh, if nothing can be destroyed and nothing can be created then obviously that the the material part is ashes to ashes dust to dust uh, as they say but oh, what about then the subtle part or the, the ex, uh, something that makes you a living being what happens to that so in yeah, my view the kunarjan explain you know the uh, what happens to that subtle being it takes another form another body and is reborn and uh, hence in my view maybe limited point but i still think that uh, this conception is no less scientific you know in fact it is probably more scientific than uh, saying that you know there you have only one life and with your death everything is uh, finished that to me sounds an unscientific actually interesting um, and there's this concept you mentioned that there is something um, subtle that carries yeah. on from janma to janma um, so so uh, it is not necessary that all these multiple births are only human right it it could yeah. be uh, i mean we we firmly believe that uh, depending on your karma now that again we will we'll delve into that word but the broad belief is that depending on your actions in this life you will get a body in your next life right mm. and if you have been um, if you are uh, very good with your uh, uh, you know deeds and thoughts in this life you will probably be blessed with another manava janma which is um, a human birth yeah so um, interestingly you know karma is often um, translated fate. as fate okay and that's uh, that's 
with whatever we've discussed that's it's actually an antithesis to the word fate you know there's nothing uh, fateful about karma it's it's all dependent only on you so where is the uh, uh, fate essentially means that you're not in control whereas what we are saying is that your karma defines who you will be in your next birth okay so uh, karma basically is reaping the fruits of your own actions and who is in charge of your own uh, your own actions yourself so frankly it is absolutely wrong to equate karma with fate it is the opposite of fate it is actually something that keeps you on the road to um, you know getting a better birth in your next life uh, yes a couple of points here uh, last time we mentioned that hinduism has uh, an innate structure um uh, whereby you can follow the moral path and it can bring bring about a course of self correction so i think this karma ties very well uh, with that uh, because it is in your hands right i mean it can almost be thought of as a motivational theory for you to make sure that your actions uh, uh, conform to the right conduct today so that you right. will um, have a good uh, forward progression in your future janmas right yeah, yeah. um and, and i think uh, to help with that um to help with proceeding in a better direction i think uh, hinduism has laid down a sort of you know a broad map for that and we call that uh, as purusharthas so the goal of uh, human life is to uh, work towards certain purusharthas maybe you can come in and explain you know what they mean sure yes the purusharthas are four in number and uh, they are called uh, dharma artha kama and moksha Mm-hmm. uh these give us a framework for things to aspire to what is what is most important for a human being i think um you know uh, achieving a certain status wealth power um or enjoyment this is explained by the two words kama and artha and uh it is not wrong to aspire to lead to lead a life of comfort or to earn money but this both of these should be uh, governed by something called dharma which is a an order i mean uh, even if you take our day to day lives uh, nobody really likes to live in an environment of utter chaos nobody is happy living in such an environment true, true. so we yeah. do need some kind of order and uh, when the outer bound of uh, of uh, kama and moksha are bounded by dharma it is um, as simple as trying to understand um, a person who wants to move his elbow in a crowded room um, so you can move your elbow as long as it doesn't uh, you know interfere with somebody else's ability to move their elbows or <laughs> or you don't hurt yeah. somebody so i think that right. is a simple way to understand how unbounded artha and kama uh, lead to chaos and problems but the the temporal bounding is done by this concept of dharma in our day to day lives and that leaves right. moksha would you like to mention what that is yeah so moksha i think is the final per- suit of a, of a human birth and it is something that is rarely achieved um, 
but it is something that every hindu aspires to at, uh, attain no so we might take multiple by multiple i i mean uh, uh, probably births over millennia but it is uh, every hindu thinks that there will be some birth uh, at which he or she will be uh, released from this entire cycle itself of birth and death and will uh, sort of merge into the divine and become one with the divine in such a state this person and and moksha can be attained not just after death you know uh, as it is sometimes wrongly believed it can be achieved even while a person is living and we do have many exemplars it it doesn't mean that we stop living just because we have merged into the divine we continue to live we continue to do what we do except that we are unattached the in in the state of moksha the person who has attained it is unattached to material things to family bonds to um to anything it is a universal love that is the uh, motivating force for any action you know so and there is no expectation of uh, returns there's no expectation of fruits of the action there's no expectation from another person it's completely universal and a very blinding uh, well blinding is negative but it's a very blissful state to be in you know so and that is the sure, concept of moksha and that's what yes. uh, all hindus aspire to eventually at some point yeah yeah at some point yes and uh so so we have uh i think uh discussed a few core concepts of what it means to be a hindu here and um to know all this is to give you a very clear lens to live your life by and also a certain moral compass and we do know that maybe uh in today's world uh consequences may not be enforced immediately or the consequences to children may not be apparent but um a, a, a hindu child who knows the concept of punarjanma uh, would certainly know that there are karmic consequences to any of the actions that we perform today and also um, you know it gives him or her a sense of agency to better your life is in your hands so i think on right. that note we can uh, probably end today's episode yes uh, any, we should we have a lot more no uh, we have a lot more to discuss and i think there are a few more very important concepts that we should cover but we shall do it in the next podcast so we will join back in an another in another fortnight and continue this conversation so as always we request our listeners to uh, you know send in their comments share their views uh, send their questions and uh, we will be seeing you in a fortnight so thank you thank you for listening and thank you reka so until the next time namaste namaste